Welcome to a live preaching message from the Kadesh Family Church, Manhattan, New York City. Kadesh Family Church, Manhattan, is the Apache of the Kadesh Family Churches in North America, where the Word of God is imparted clearly, practically, and comprehensively for present-day living. Our aim is to provide solid foundation of Bible-based instruction to our church members, to equip them to preach and teach the gospel wherever they may be. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. can stand against the king no one can no one will oh oh said the victory belongs to Jesus victory belongs to him Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Say, who can stand? Who can stand against the Lord? No one. No
up and sing. First Love Church can have their service. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, please give me one second. Let's pray over the offering. Amen. Victory belongs to Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for this moment of giving. Bless the seeds in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands together and welcome Lady Pastor Elaine.
administration. God bless all of you. Shall we pray? Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the direction that it gives to our lives. I pray for your spirit this afternoon. I pray that you will be with us, that your word will impart your direction and your light to your people. I pray that we will see Jesus in the word. I pray that we will hear Jesus in the word. I pray that we will feel Jesus in your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's learn. I, I realized today that uh, during the first service when Pastor Eugene was teaching the scripture, that last week I forgot completely about the scripture. So I came up uh, determined that as for, as for today, we have to learn one scripture before Reverend comes back. In the second service. So we are learning the scripture of the day before he comes back. You see, so can you please project the verse for me? You have it at the back, please. 2 Peter 1, verse 20, I believe. No, no, 21. 2 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time. Let, let, read it with me. 2 Peter 1, 21. Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1, 21. 2 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 2 Peter 1, 21. I think if you've been around our church for a while, this used to be a must-know scripture. It was one of the first ones that we had to learn. And even if you haven't been around, it's a, a relatively straightforward scripture. So 2 Peter 1, 21. I think we divide it into two parts. Two parts, it should work. So 2 Peter 1, 21. So deep, we say what we feel like saying, and sometimes if you are mature enough, you control yourself, and even when you feel like saying something, you don't say it. It's one of the signs of being a mature person, that you do not say everything you feel like saying, and that you do not say what you, everything you are thinking, and that you do not say everything you are told. It's one of the signs of maturity. But the, the word of God comes not by the will of man. It means that a man doesn't decide that I'm going to talk about this today. But holy men of God speak. They spoke the word of God. That means that they spoke the word of God as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when you are saying to yourself, when the word of God is presented to you in a situation in your life, that I, I can't do this, or I won't do this, or this does not apply to me, you are rejecting not the word of men, but the words of the Holy Ghost. And that's something that we should all have in mind. We all have to pray for the strength to obey the word of God. Because we recognize that the holy men of God, they speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So now let's try, for those of you who don't know it, let's try and learn it. So 2 Peter 1, 21. For the prophecy came, not in old time, by the will of man. Let's do that part a second time. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. So can we take it off the screen and do just that for now? 
for today. I'm still preaching like Reverend told me to from how you can preach salvation. How you can preach salvation. So, um, uh, Kofi says I have 60 minutes. I hope I can be done in 30. But the thing about Bishop's books is that when you start talking, you realize that you didn't write it and it's not easy to explain yourself sometimes. The, the anointing is heavy and you feel as though you have to, but today I'm going to try. I'm going to try very hard. So the title of today's message, it's from Bishop's book and I will read the Bible passages as well. You don't have to worry. There will be verses from the Bible. It's uh, Salvation Message 51. It's one thing is needful. One thing, one thing is needful. One thing is needful. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. One thing is needful. One thing. The phrase one thing, one thing. If you don't remember anything else today, remember one thing. One thing is needful. Now it came to pass, verse 38, now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. 39, please. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which... Did I do something wrong? Um, I, can I continue? Okay. So, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You see, the thing about um, the Bible is that it tells us about Jesus, uh, it tells us very often about Jesus' conversation with specific people. And these two sisters show up more than a, a couple of times at least in the Gospels. And on this occasion, Jesus went to their village, or he went to their hometown, or he went to their suburb, if you like, or he went, some, I mean, went to the, the place where they lived. And when he went there, he decided to go to their house. Mind you, when a, a preacher, an itinerant preacher like, Bishop, uh, like uh, Jesus is moving around, he's probably not moving around with, just by himself, probably moving around with a group of people, so as they, as they have, you have to understand Martha's problem. In order to understand Martha's problem, you have to visualize that he probably did not go alone and that he travels with a group of people. And then, so as he's with these people, possibly all his disciples, possibly the three who were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Bible doesn't exactly tell us, but we are, I'm thinking that if it was just Jesus, she wouldn't have been so disturbed about the work involved. You get what I'm saying? So since she was disturbed, she was, she's a hard-working person, but she was still disturbed about the work involved. You see, people, usually the people who are not disturbed about the work ahead of them are lazy people. Because when you are lazy, you are not even in, at, going to attempt to do the, the, job, the job. That's why you don't even know what a, a Herculean task lies ahead of you. Because you haven't even analyzed the task to even realize that. You get what? Sometimes you are lazy and sometimes you are just naive. 
you are a little too young to grasp the situation. You get me? It's like um, if you don't have too much faith and you are getting married in a culture where the women talk a lot, you will hear some of the older women saying and whispering as you are so excited that if you knew what was ahead of you, you wouldn't be so excited. <laughs> if you know the work that is ahead of you, you won't be as excited as you are because uh, it's not a good thing to say. But there, there, even though there's some truth in it, it's, it's not a good thing to say. But there's some truth in it. You get, you get what I'm saying? So, Mary, uh, Martha, is, uh, he has come into the house. I'm guessing that he has quite a large entourage with him. So, there's a lot of work, you get me, as he has arrived in the house. And typically, sometimes, if you are very particular, you like to be told before people come to your house. You, you get what I'm saying? It's, it's something that I've never understood why husbands don't understand. You get me? Don't tell me today that this evening you are coming back with guests. I don't know, I, 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 I do not enjoy such, a, such, such information and such text messages. You can, people don't get it. And I, I, quite a number of my friends tell me, their husbands don't see what the fuss is. It's like, just let's all be here. I was coming home anyway. It just happens that these other people are coming with me. You get me? I, I was going to come anyway. The person doesn't seem to get it that you coming home versus you saying that so-so and so and three other people are coming with you it's two very different scenarios. So Martha is there, and then she has a sister called Mary. You see, the thing about life is that we all wish sometimes that everybody was like us. But you see, if everybody was like you, the world would not be the world. It takes every kind of pressing to make the world. So even in one family, you, you, you can't even imagine that these two people are, are siblings. I tell people that I went into a middle school meeting in my town once, and my younger son was in that class. And um, there was a lady teaching the class. She was American, white American lady. And after we had finished discussing my younger son, she said, I don't know why you look familiar. And I said, I have an older son who is in the high school now. Then she mentioned my older son's name, and then she, and then she mentioned their last, and then she began to laugh. She said, if you hadn't told me those two were brothers, it would never have occurred to me. Then she said, even with the last name, because their last name is not that common. It's common enough in central Jersey, but it's not that common in the school. So she knows, when she sees the last name, she knows your parents are immigrants. But she said, even with their last names. Then she said, okay, I can see it now, but they are so different. Then she began to describe my sons. She described my, my oldest son very accurately. Then she described my, my younger son very accurately. And they are really very different, but they are brothers. They are brothers. So Mary and Martha are very different, but they are sisters. Same person gave birth to them, or same, they have, we're not told whether they are half-siblings or uh, siblings of the full blood, but whatever they are, they are siblings, and very different. So when the pastor walks into the house with his guests, one of them is concerned about impressive service, and the other one is concerned about listening to the word. Two different people. One of them is concerned about soaking in the word. The other one is concerned about the pastor saying that she cooks better than everybody else. You get me? She serves better. I had a friend who used to say, my tree, my tree isn't, doesn't sound so good sometimes. She used to say that, when the service, you're poor. I mean, it means that her service is poor. <laughs> she had a way of analyzing people, and she would say, wait, who can you fear? The service, you're poor. 
it's, and you can imagine she's a very hard-working person. So when she goes somewhere and she looks around, even the branch, you know, the branch where the, uh, uh, the, the meeting is taking place, she said, mm, the, 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 the woman here, I'm going to service your poor. Service is poor. You see, sometimes you don't even know what you are being rated, what, what is being analyzed about you, and what you are, you haven't entered into a competition, but you have been added to the competition. You are being given marks. Marks are being de uh, deducted, and because the person is wearing the service, you're poor. So Mary had a sister called Martha, and obviously Martha thought that Mary's service was poor. So Martha, and then she won't even keep it to herself. That's how we are. After we have, you know, because if you think about something, we are supposed to meditate on the word of God. You get me? It's the word of God we are supposed to meditate on. So that out of the abundance of the heart, it will come out. But when you don't have a lot of the word of God in you, what is in you is what will come out. It's, a, it's one of those things, you see, you can pretend some of the time, they say. But all the time, that's too difficult. Even the actresses, they only act in a movie, then they are done. A camera, lights, action, it's over. Then after that, they live their normal lives. You get what I'm saying? So if uh, you, are, you are pretending, at a point it comes out. At, a, at the beginning when they arrived, okay, she's sitting there. She hasn't gotten up yet. She's thinking it in her head. She's still sitting there. We have served the drinks. We have removed the glasses. We have wiped the trays. We have offered more drinks. We have offered small chops. She's still not showing up again. She's still not doing anything. You get me? She's still sitting there. You see, if you think it for long enough, you will say it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what was in her, word, her, in her head was not any of the message that was being shared and people were soaking in and being blessed and um, learning what to do next in their lives as the man of God was speaking. She could only see way in service here, poor. That's all she could see. That's all she could see. And when you, when, you are, you are so, when you are obsessed with somebody else's faults, you don't see yours. When, when you, as soon as you get obsessed with somebody else's faults, you have to take a step back and wonder, oh, what is the Lord speaking to you personally about that you can't hear? Because you are so fixated on the other person's faults. Her poor service, her laziness, the way she doesn't care, the way she's inconsiderate. That's what you are thinking about. The Son of God is in your house. He, 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 he has been sent from heaven to deliver everyone, to die on the cross eventually. You are going to be in the, in the word of God for, for the rest of eternity. And all you can think about is your sister's laziness and her poor service. It's not a good thing. This is very quiet. And the, and the Bible says that, you see, and when you think about it like that, then, you, then eventually you say it. Sometimes you stand by saying it to the little children because they don't have a choice. And sometimes they don't even understand what you are complaining about. This man is really annoying me. I say it to a six-year-old so that what will happen? <laughs> you get me? Then you move on to the 12 and the 13-year-olds. Then now you move on to the pastor himself. You have to tell him how lazy the girl is. Just in case, he says he's spiritual. But just in case he can't see that the sister is lazy, you are telling him. Just in case he can't see. It is your, it is your personal business to let him know. 
But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Just two different things. Now she's rebuking the master. You get me? She's telling him what he should care about and what he should not care about. It's not your place or my place to tell the prophets or the pastor God has given us what to care about and what not to care about. But a lot of the time, we can't resist the temptation. It is such a strong temptation because as we sit there and it's not because we are doing nothing. We are doing everything else and it's like, why can't he see that this sister of mine is lazy? Why can't he see that this sister of mine, her service is poor? Why can't he see that she's always jumping around excited about the word? Why can't he see that it's just air? It's nothing. How do you know it's just air? Are you in her heart? Do you know what God is telling her? Do you know what God is convicting her of? How do you know that is nothing. Conviction is a personal thing. Do you know, like yesterday we were watching Lady Reverend, we were watching Encounters of God, I mean, Encounters with God or Encounters of God? Encounters with God. And she was talking about how most encounters with God are personal. So how do you know? The fact that the word is not moving you, does not mean that it's not moving your sister. And I'm sticking to the sisters because that's the passage we are reading. You know what I'm saying? So don't worry. That's what, that's what we are reading about. He talked about sisters. There must be a reason why in this particular passage he talks about sisters. Because when you read about Cain and Abel, he talks about brothers. In this particular one, he's talking about sisters. So I can only talk about sisters. So, now she's rebuking him. And then she's telling him what he should do. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Tell her to come and help me. Obviously, I'm the one doing the right thing. I'm the one who is serviceable. I am the one who is hardworking. I am the one who is doing the right thing. We are supposed to serve the men of God. They are hungry. They, mind you, in those days, they didn't have cars. They walked everywhere. They, they rode on donkeys, whatever. They must have been really tired in the kind of climate that you have in the Middle East. So as they have come, there's a lot of work to be done. Even to give them water, there was probably, not, not probably, there was no running water. You go to wells to draw water. There's a lot to do, to wash their feet. There's so much to do. And this girl is just sitting there soaking in the word. Sister spiritual. She won't get up and do anything. Only her, she's on the podcast in the room, lifting, just standing there, listening, listening to the word. There's work to be done. Tell her to come and help me. Instructing the anointed. Instructions for the anointed. Instructions for the anointed can come from anywhere. They can come from his wife. They can come from the, his, his, anybody who helps him do anything. They can come from his children. Somehow, everybody feels that we can tell the anointed person what to do. It's one of the signs of familiarity. The fact that somebody you used to think so highly of, now you see so much wrong with what the person does. And then you don't just see what is wrong with what he's doing. You get me? But you can also tell him how to do it better. If you know 
what to do? How come you are not the one who has the position the person has? The Bible says that promotion comes from God. Doesn't come from the east, doesn't come from the west. Promotion comes from God. So there is a reason why you are not in that position. And you don't have to worry about the person's judgment and the person's punishment. The Bible itself says that they will get the stricter judgments. The Bible says it too. The same Bible that confers blessings and curses on all and any of us. That same Bible says that anybody who takes this ministry on themselves, their judgment is stricter. You don't have to worry. Anything is bothering you that much, pray about it. But usually sometimes the temptation is too much. You have to tell him a thing or two before you confess your sins and, uh, and move on. So what can we learn? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. Many things. You see, Jesus didn't condemn her. He knew what her problem was. She wasn't a bad person. She was just troubled and careful. And the word of God which would deliver her, she's not listening to it. Always busy working, always busy serving, but never listening to the word of God. Does that remind you of some of us sometimes in the house of God? When the word is being preached, we are here, we are out, we are there. We always have something else to do. When there's word, there's, the, the word is being preached, when someone is listening to the message in your house, that's when you are the most, you don't have time to listen to the word. You are always busy. Always busy. But one thing is needful. One thing is needful. And Mary had chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Recently, I had a message that Bishop was preaching, I think it was last week or so, or a couple of weeks ago. And um, he had said that the mystery of doing nothing is the fact that someone like God seems to like the people, people who do nothing. It's a mystery. And, that, and he, he, he went on to say that when he said to Jesus, when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, and the dove came over him, and he, the, the voice spoke from heaven, that you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. It was before he performed the miracles. It was before he walked across every, all those places, Galilee, Nazareth, Tiberias, Samaria. It was before all those things. And yet he said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And I think, I believe his reverend who said here once that, if you asked a man choosing a wife to, pick two, two, between two, um, to choose between two girls, one who does nothing but listen to the word, and one who is very industrious, cooking, cleaning, serving, working, the man will pick the worker. But God picked nothing. And Bishop says it's a mystery. It's not something you can understand because the natural thing Reverend told us here for any man is to pick the person who will do the work, the person who will be busy. But the mystery, Bishop says, is God's choice of the one who sat and listened to Jesus. But that's something, that, that's something. But today, I want to look at all the points in this chapter. He says, like Martha, number one, like Martha, most people are busy about many unnecessary things. Many unnecessary, most of us, according to Bishop, are busy about many unnecessary things. Whilst they neglect the one thing that is really important, 
That's point number one to learn from this passage. Salvation, the salvation message. Like Martha, most people, then he talks out, he begins to describe the many things. Most people are busy about decorating their homes. They are busy about getting the right education for their children. That one, the right education for the child. You have researched the schools from elementary school to college. Even the children who are now graduates themselves, you want to help them with their choice of graduate school. What do you know about what the person is studying? You want to check whether he wrote his personal statement, did he send the application, did he call for the recommendation? Very busy, you are very busy. This whole uh, trip to graduate school, it has become personal self-help project. Meanwhile, you are dealing with somebody you sent to college who has graduated and who should know what to do by now, because if he doesn't know what to do by now, it's a problem. So why is it such a project? It's understandable when you are researching elementary schools, but you are researching graduate schools. Are you going to go to the school? Do you have the degree your son has? Do you have the degree your daughter has? It's amazing the children we've brought up these days, sometimes they need help with everything. Everything. We are busy, Bishop says, getting food for your husband. It has become a major project. A major project. You are busy uh, making money to support your lifestyle, self-imposed lifestyle. It's a self-imposed lifestyle. I, I told someone recently, like, look, nobody knows the price of your shoes. Nobody. Nobody knows. She said, I mean, maybe I don't know. Some people may know. I said, okay. But, but really, nobody seeing you is thinking about the price of your shoe, the price of your dress, the price of your car. So far as I'm concerned, any car that moves from point A to point B, it's a car. Nobody is concerned. You are the one who thinks somebody is looking. Nobody is looking. And when you are gone, unfortunately, that's not what people will remember about you. Bishop says here, I'm reading the list according to Bishop's list. Don't shoot the messenger today. People are busy trying to find love. Hey, this one. This one, trying to find love. There was a time when you would think that people left it alone and believed that when I meet someone, I meet someone. Oh, Auntie Felicia, Auntie Felicia, isn't that how we grow up? Yes, you meet someone. When you actually meet the person, you get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Or when you are, maybe you are, somebody else introduces you to a person. But now we have websites. We have apps. We have, and it will amaze you that tongue-talking Christian sisters use these things. Don't worry, if you use it, I don't know. Keep on smiling, nobody will know it is you. Tongue-talking Christian sisters use apps. Somehow, I haven't heard of brothers using apps, but, but I mean, you know, these days, the brothers, they do what the sisters do, and the sisters do what the brothers do. We don't know. You get me? So, so, we are busy finding love. It's a project. You are on the internet. You, you are not looking to shop for shoes or something. You are looking for love. Whatever it is, you are looking for it. Whether it's the, the biblical definition you have, whether it's the definition from Hollywood you have, you're looking for it on the internet. You're looking for it everywhere. 
Facebook, everywhere, looking for love. People are trying to get jobs. People are on the internet. People are networking, looking for jobs. People are trying to make friends. People are trying to be part of groups. When I saw I said, hey, Bishop, how did he know this one? People are trying to be part of groups. You see, any group you have to try to be part of. That's the group I don't want to belong to. I don't want to belong at all. I was never the most sociable of people to start with. And as for, you know, making the effort to join a clique, no, it's too much energy. Hey, too much energy. Too much, too much energy required. A group that you must now try and join with unspoken rules and spoken rules. No, 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 no. But you are busy trying to join the group. Some people are busy about going abroad. I guess that doesn't include you because by definition of the home state, the home country of the bishop who wrote the book, you are already abroad. People are busy about their own education. Others are busy about having a child. Others are also busy about getting rich. You get me? And all of us fit in there somewhere. I tell, I, I'll give you one example of where I fit in. I fit in where it talks about people are busy getting the right education for their children. I've been researching my children's education since I lived here. I came to live here. You get what I'm saying? So last week, I realized that I, I had chased my older son enough. A person that you call. And he knows why you are calling him. Because call, I'm calling him about deadlines he doesn't want to discuss with me. At the point, I told myself, look, stop. The person has a degree. The person is working. If he likes, he can work at that level. It's okay. It's okay. That's what he's happy with. He should work at that level. Why should it become, I should pray about it, yes, where he should be and where he should not be. I shouldn't make it a project to be calling this character and disturbing myself. It is, it is, it is even wrong. He's an adult. Ah! You are calling him no answer one. Calling him no answer two. Calling him no answer three. Then the person calls you when he knows you are busy. Because your children know you, I tell you. And he knows that you can't pick up. Then it's like, oh, there is, so he hasn't really answered any of your questions. It's the, some projects are not necessary. Yes. It's, it's, uh, the time for leaving some people alone has come. Prayer, yes. Constant talking, no. You get me? It's, 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 it's over. One thing is needful. If you like the salary you have right now, live with it. Just remember that the car you have, your father bought. You get me? And when it breaks down, he won't buy you another one. So the job you have at the time must be able to replace the car. It must be able to marry. It must be able to take care of children. It must be able to do all those things. It should not become my project to make sure that you get the right education. It's, some, it's, it's a revelation I got last, last week. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Cannot become my project to get you there. I've, I've done enough concerning your education. Been driving you since you were a child. I've been doing many more things. I'm sure if he hears this message, he won't be amused at all, but I don't care. That's the, that's the thing about your children. You don't care what they think. Yeah. When you care what people think, it's a sign that are, they are not your children. So you too, you see, as, as you are laughing at me, fit yourself into the other things. 
then Bishop tells a story about the professor who could not swim. I'll try and summarize the story. So this professor is a very learned man, and not just a learned man, he's a snob. So he's been traveling, and he gets, I'm guessing it's in old times, to a place, or maybe not, not such old times, but he gets to a shoreline of some sort, at a, at a river of some sort, and there is no way to get across, because he's such an important stuck-up person, and he's expecting a large ferry. You get what I'm saying? So since he's expecting a large ferry, and there's no ferry there, he's wondering, how am I going to cross? He sees this young man with a small boat. You see, even the way, you see, because sometimes when you are older, and you, you, are, you are very educated, or you think you are very educated, because very educated is relative. So, so you, you think you are very educated, and he gets there, and um, this man, young man with a little boat, it's all that is available to get across this river or stream or whatever it is. So eventually, and then this man rents, so eventually he decides that since I don't have any option, let me go with the, this guy. So if you have had to take somebody's humble form of transportation, you would think that as you are sitting in the car, you will keep quiet. You, you, you get what I'm saying? I remember a couple of years ago, I arrived in Kumasi, and I didn't like the car I was picked up in because I knew there was a better car and I could have been picked up in a better car. But since I didn't have any way from getting from Kumasi Airport to where I needed to go, I kept quiet in the car. All I needed was to get where I was going. You get what I'm saying? It's not the time to start saying that I'm married to the oldest son in the house. This is not the car I should have been picked with because I know which cars are available. That's not the time to say all those things. The oldest son is all the way back in the States. And you are not even from that town. So kind of kindly, quietly sit in the car, get where you need to get. Somebody's driving you. Somebody picked you up. Be grateful for the ride. Don't fuss about the kind of ride it is. But not this man. So now he's coming to fuss about the ride. So somehow when I saw that, I remembered that day I wasn't happy about my ride. But I kept quiet in the car and went where I was going. So here this, um, this man is on this little boat. And then he starts asking questions. Do you know sociology? Do you know uh, psychology? Do you know astrology? Do you know, of course, everything he asked this humble boy renting his little boots, he says, no, I don't know all these things. In the midst of asking all these important sounding questions, there arises a storm. When the storm arises, then the boy, young boy, asks him a question like only the young can ask. Do you know how to swim? And each time he asks the boy the question, and the boy said, no. He said, 10% of your life is gone. So obviously, the boy's life was supposedly reducing by percentages. So when the storm arose, and obviously the waves were on the river, the boy, the boy too said, do you know how to swim? Mr. Big Man, Mr. Big Shot, can you swim? And then he says, no. And he says, 100% of your life is gone. Because when there is a storm, and you are on water, it is the most important thing, one thing is needful, is to know how to swim. You see, if you can lecture in sociology, if you can lecture in neuropsychiatry, if you can lecture in any subject on the face of the earth, it will do absolutely nothing for you in the midst of a storm on a body of water. 
The only thing that will help you is swimmingology. The only thing that will help you is the ability to swim. A lot of the time, we have a long list of things we think are important that we can do, that we have. But Jesus says to all of us today, one thing is needful. And it's one of the things that, it's not that every, the things Martha was thinking about were necessary for living, but it wasn't the most important thing. The word needful is an old word which means necessary. It means requisite. It means, see, it's not an optional thing that, um, that you, it's something you cannot do without. Like the ability to swim on a body of water. Whether, even if there's no storm, on a body of water, if you are going down, you need to be able to swim. And in a storm, you most definitely need to be able to swim. So a lot of us are like Martha. We are busy about many unnecessary things, whilst they neglect the one that is really important. The next thing he talks about is that says that like Mary, number two, like Mary, how much time do I have, please? Like Mary, the one thing that is needful is to get, don't worry, the other points are not as long as this one. The, the, the one thing that is needful is to get the wisdom and knowledge of God. Proverbs 4, verses 7 through 8. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. Verse 8 says, exalt her, and she shall promote thee. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. So, Mary sat at the feet of Jesus to receive the wisdom of God. You and I need to sit with our Bibles. We need to have our quiet time so that we will get the wisdom of God. We need to hear the word of God every opportunity we get in church, in our cars. These days it's so easy to hear the word if you want to hear the word. The podcast is available. There's preaching you can hear. There's preaching you can listen to. Get the wisdom of God. Listen, there are so many different types of wisdom in the world today. So many things competing to become the directing light in your life. You see, the choosing between, like Bishop said once, the frog and the prince. Every adult can choose the prince. You get what I'm saying? Every adult can choose the prince. When you have a series of choices, and, or, and, and sometimes it's between the west one and the west one, or between a lot of good choices, then to know which one of them is the will of God, to know which one of them is the right way for you. It may not be the right way for somebody else, but which one is the right way for you? Which one? Which one is the right way for you? So like Mary, the one thing that is needful is to get the wisdom and knowledge of God. There is, you see, you, you notice that when Bishop picked Mary out of the passage, and used it as an example. He didn't say that we should be like Mary, we shouldn't do any work. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about getting the wisdom and the knowledge of God. There is no comment about the fact that she was doing no work. You get what I'm saying? So don't take this as a reason to do nothing, no work. Because if you do no work, the Bible also, there's another verse in the Bible which also says that when you do no work, you should not eat. So you see, you don't, in the Bible, different things can apply to you. <laughs> you should be careful what begins to apply to you. Num in, number three, the third thing that is needful 
the, the, the third point he makes in this chapter is that there is usually one thing that keeps people away from God. You know, that, had never occurred, that hadn't occurred to me until I read this. There's one thing that keeps you away from God. One thing that sometimes keeps you from being born again, and one thing that keeps you from even becoming a stronger Christian. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. So he said, and he goes on to, Mark 10, 21, please. He says that, don't allow one thing to keep you away from your salvation. Don't allow money, a habit, a woman, a man to prevent you from fulfilling your calling. It is usually one thing that keeps people from Christ whom they need. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. You see? And that's the thing that as shepherds we have to get. The fact that somebody is lacking in a particular quality does not mean that Jesus no longer loved the person. You can point out what the person lacks, but you, can, you have to point it out in love. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest. Jesus knew everything. We know from the Bible that he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So he knew the man wouldn't be able to do what he was saying. He loved the man, but he still told him what to do. One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. And then we quickly want to move on to the next verse. Because if Jesus had asked us to do the same thing, not going to happen. We don't know if we can do it. So it's not a verse we want to think about. Even though the letters are in red. Bishop always talks about how the words of Jesus are in red. And a lot of us Christians don't want to think about it. There are some verses you don't really want. You want to quickly gloss over and not really apply to your life. He said, but he says one thing that he lacked. That means that he did a lot of other things right. One thing that he lacked. Sometimes you tell your children to do something, they, 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 they tell you that you don't look, see all the other things that they have done right. One of my sons told me read recently, I did this, I did that, I did that, I did that. But I was concerned about the other thing, which I, have, I told you, I've decided that it's not a project anymore. I'm trying hard not to make it a project anymore. You get me? One thing thou lackest. One thing that is needful. That's the next one. One thing, what, what, do you, what is keeping you away from a deeper walk with God? What is keeping you from trusting and obeying God fully? What is keeping you from loving and serving God the way only you come? Bishop says it is usually one thing. One, one thing. Number four, one thing that is needful for you is to have a personal encounter with God. We seem to be meeting encounters everywhere this weekend. The, the, the phrase, an encounter with God. A personal encounter with God. John chapter 9, verse 25. John 9, 25. We're almost done, don't worry. Almost there. John chapter 9, verse 25. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Christianity, he writes, is about having a personal relationship with God, with Jesus Christ. Christianity is about seeing God and knowing God. You, I mean, you know, you individually, seeing God yourself, knowing God yourself. So the man said, whether Jesus is a sin, if you know the story, the Pharisees were querying him, who healed you? Who, who made you to walk on the Sabbath, 
on the Sabbath. Nobody, no Jews do anything on the Sabbath. So their concern was about somebody breaking the Jewish laws on the Sabbath. And the man said, please, please, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know, this one I know for sure, that I was blind, now I see. One, you, you need to, one thing that is needful for you and I in every situation in life, in the ordinary, in the difficult, in the good, in the bad, is to have a personal encounter with God. A personal encounter. Everybody's got a story. What is your story? Do you still have a story? Or the only story you have is from 20 years ago. The only story you have is from 15 years ago. The only story you have you don't even share the story you have. You never have a testimony. When everybody talks about an, an encounter with God, it's like God has done nothing for you. Life is filled with memories and complainings and never an encounter. They said, once I was blind, now I see. There's a song that says that count your blessings, name them one by one. There is no way I'm telling you that you can be a Christian and not have blessings to count. What can you say? This man only met Jesus once. He said, I was blind. If you actually have an encounter with him, you will be filled with praises. You will have testimonies. You will have things to say that the Lord has done for you. And not everything about those testimonies will relate to physical things. There are some things that money cannot buy, like a blind man cannot buy sights. It doesn't matter how much money you have. One of the... One of the things I know for sure is that it doesn't matter how good your health insurance is. If you actually have a health issue, health insurance is one of the most useless things to have. And the only reason why you don't know that is because you haven't met a real, problem, a real health problem before. That's why you don't know it. That's why you boast when you are sitting among people about how good your health insurance is. Listen to me. If, if health insurance is good for people who are well, People who are going for checkups, people who are people who are old and um, live a better quality of life because they live in such a developed country. That's my personal opinion. That's my personal opinion. And I mean, you can argue all you like, but the only reason why you will argue with me is because you have never met a real health challenge. When you meet a real health challenge, you will realize that good health insurance is nothing. Because good health insurance can heal nobody. Good health insurance can take you to the best doctors everywhere. Good health insurance can keep you healthy. And maybe, I mean, sometimes, it, I mean, depending on who you are, sometimes it doesn't even do much because you don't do what they say. <laughs> you get me? You go into the doctor's office and you come out and do everything they didn't say. You get what I'm saying? So, what is important? And this man knew what was important. If anybody had given him a million dollars that day, it was not the same as I once was blind, but now I see. So let's count our blessings. Let's count our real blessings. Number five, one thing that is needful for us is for us to sacrifice so that we can have treasures in heaven. It is time to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. Hmm, lady pastor, why do you want to come and talk about sacrifice? I'm reading, it's Bishop who wrote the book. The church is the bishops. I was told to preach from the book. The verse is from the Bible. Luke chapter 18, verse 22. I promise you I'm reading the verse. That's it. 
Luke chapter 18, verse 22. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing. Again, sell all that thou hast. It's the same verse. You get me? Sell all that thou hast. That's a sacrifice. The sacrifice part. What will you sacrifice so that you can have treasures in heaven? What will you sacrifice? Will you sacrifice your time? Will you sacrifice your energy? Will you sacrifice some money? Will you encourage your children to serve the Lord? Will you encourage anybody at all to serve the Lord? What, what, will you serve the Lord yourself? What will you do for the body of Christ? Because whatever you do for the body of Christ, it will cost you something. The, there's, there's a verse in the Old Testament, I believe it was David, he said he will not sacrifice to the Lord something that has not cost him anything. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing, we are closing now, have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. One thing. It amazed me how many phrases that, that, that include one thing that Bishop found in this passage. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Bishop, Bishop talks about the fact it is needful, it is necessary to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And to spend eternity with God. When you find Christ, we are not supposed to backslide, go in and out of Christianity, go in and out of our walk with Christ as we wish. We are supposed to stay steady. Bishop has a mess, an old message, I think the title is Steadiness. We are supposed to stay steady. We are supposed to, we are supposed to stay steady. We are supposed to um, dwell in God's house and then look forward to an eternity spent with God. Will you, then he asked this question. So I'm going to leave you with these questions this afternoon. Will you dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life? Or will you dwell in the house of the, of the devil all the days of your life? Choose Jesus Christ and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the things I noticed in the statement is that there's one of two choices. But you know, it's not politically correct in this day and age to say that there's only one of two choices. That is the house of the Lord or the house of the devil. That there's no middle ground. But if you believe the Bible, there is no middle ground. It's one of two dwelling places for all of us for eternity. So let's close with this. Let's bow down our heads. Think about Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This afternoon, as um, I'm closing, as we are closing this service, if you've never asked him to come into your life, you've never asked him to come into your heart, remember that the verse in Revelation says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and that if any man open that door, I will come in, I will sup with him, I will be with him, I will pray with you. I will pray with whomever else. Think about it. Think about where you want to dwell, whether you are still in the house. I seek you in this soul.
verse in the Bible. It says, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be red as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Join us for any of our services. Contact us on lci.newyork at gmail.com and visit us on the web at www.lcimanhattan.com.